Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello Texas, time to jump in, buckle up, and join me for a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most essential industry to mankind, farming and ranching. Topping the news today, another packing plant fire. A JBS plant up in Grand Island, Nebraska caught on fire Sunday night. It shut the plant down on Monday, but the good news is it was back up and running on Tuesday. We'll have that story to kick off today's show. Plus, we're seeing more cases of anthrax here in Texas. This time, a few popped up in deer. We'll have that story coming up as well. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For most of the summer in the Texas High Plains, our temperatures have been kind of on the cool side. But we've had some days of very hot weather of late. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about what that means for area producers on Texas Ag Today. There are a number of access considerations when buying rural property. We'll take a look at two of those possibilities on today's program. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The options for fall-planted wildlife mixtures are many, but often the random mixtures offered for sale by national retailers are not the best adapted plants for Texas. We will discuss forage mixtures for white-tailed deer. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. A fire broke out Sunday night at a JBS beef processing plant in Nebraska, shutting the plant down and sending workers home from their Monday shifts. The fire was in the walls and roof of the rendering section of the plant, with firefighting crews working all Sunday night into Monday morning to put the fire out. The JBS plant is the largest employer in Grand Island, Nebraska, employing more than 3,600 people. The plant has a harvest capacity of about 1.4 million head of cattle a year. This is the second major beef plant fire in the last three years. Back in 2019, a Tyson plant in Holcomb, Kansas caught fire, sending fed cattle prices dropping while beef prices increased. That event triggered a USDA investigation. More anthrax cases are showing up in Texas. The Texas Animal Health Commission has confirmed three new cases of anthrax in Texas. The disease was found in a white-tailed deer in Kinney County, a deer in Maverick County, and a kudu in Real County between August 30th and September 9th. The places where the infected animals were found have all been placed under quarantine by the commission to prevent further spread of the disease. There have been nine cases of anthrax in Texas since July 11th. There were two confirmed cases in Armstrong County in the Texas Panhandle, three cases in Hardeman County, and a single case each in Kinney, Maverick, Real, and Valverde counties. Dr. Andy Schwartz, state veterinarian, says Animal Health Commission personnel are closely monitoring the anthrax cases in Texas. 
He said anthrax is often found in the area of the state where these most recent confirmations have been found. He encourages livestock owners in the area to remain vigilant and consult with their veterinarian if they suspect their animals have been exposed to anthrax. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The House Agriculture Committee met Friday to discuss the agricultural provisions of the Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending bill. Texas Congressman Mike Cloud sits on the Ag Committee. He says the bill is being rammed through Congress without any input from Republicans. It's sad because the Ag Committee has typically renowned for bipartisanship, and and we're just not seeing that today at all. It's very similar to the process that happened earlier uh, in the year when we had another reconciliation process move forward through the Ag Committee. Uh, It's really sad. It does a disservice for the American people. There's nothing in uh, what we're weighing in the Ag Committee today that helps America's farmers. There's nothing in it that helps put food on the table for American people. There's nothing that, you know, as we're seeing inflation rise across America and cause not only input costs to go up, but cause the practical groceries for the American people to go up. Uh, Nothing that's going to help people put food on the table. Congressman Mike Cloud of Corpus Christi. For most of the summer, temperatures on the Texas High Plains have been on the cool side. But James Hunt tells us it's been hot for the past few weeks. The latest twist we've gotten weather-wise around the Texas High Plains has been some blazing hot weather, with the high temperatures for many recent days running 10 to 15 degrees above what would be considered normal. For local farmers who grow cotton, like Greg Glover of Canyon, the hope is the heat will translate into much-needed heat units. But Glover says our hot, dry weather of late is also bringing challenges. We're trying to chop some silage, and we're having to keep the water going on it until basically the choppers almost get to the field. We don't want to shut the water off. It doesn't have too much moisture underneath it. We don't want it just to dry down too quick on us. And Glover says recent conditions could also accelerate the schedule for his dryland Milo. I'm probably going to have to get the combine out even sooner than what we are expecting to. Because some of that Milo, it's been 30 days since it's had a good rain and can sure tell and it kind of quit on us and has drawn down. For Greg Glover, this is far from being the first time this year he's had to respond to extreme weather. He's also involved in a cow-calf operation and back in February was dealing with calving during winter storm Uri. We had over 30 calves during that week and that was kind of rough and we did everything we could. You know, we were going out there four to five times a day and trying to catch them where... They would literally get froze to the ground and still be alive. I've never seen that in my life and hope I never have to experience that in my life again. Fortunately, most of those calves were saved and are doing well. You can tell, James, which ones were born them because a lot of them were frostbit on their ears or their tail. But you can't tell no difference. They're healthy. They're good big calves that have grown really well. Good to hear that outcome. And you know it took some hard work to make it happen. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. When considering a purchase of rural Texas property, access is a big factor. Tom Nicoletti explains. My guest today is Tyler Jacobs. He is partner broker with Hall & Hall LLP out of College Station. And Tyler joins us on our program to talk about this particular subject. And uh, Tyler, there are a number of types of access to rural property that we're going to uh, highlight. Let's begin with highway frontage access. As our roads have gotten busier and bigger and faster, highway frontage is always going to be the preeminent purchase for location purposes, even commute purposes. But definitely it comes with challenges when actually accessing that property with all of the engineering requirements and things that come along with those 
bigger highways and higher speed limits and the engineering requirements to put in an entrance to a property. Always the gold standard as far as location goes. Then there are pros and cons with county road frontage access. Absolutely. You know, county roads all over the state of Texas vary in condition and vary in length and vary in the budgets that are allocated by the counties to maintain them. So there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to accessing county road frontage properties, how many entrances you can put in, the type of entrances you can put in, where you can put them in, and you have the benefit of the county maintenance itself. The the negative side of that is that, in general, there is less regulation if you're building a dream home and having 20 driveways across the street from yours isn't ideal, then something you want to consider. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Deer season is just around the corner and now is the time to get those food plots planted. Texas A&M forage specialist Vanessa Olson has some advice on getting the right plants in your plots to attract those Texas whitetails. White-tailed deer rely primarily on forbs and browse such as leaves and twigs of woody plants. These plants are usually higher in crude protein and digestibility than grasses. Grasses comprise only a very small part of the overall diet of the white-tailed deer. Other useful introduced forages include both warm and cool season legumes. White-tailed deer generally need supplemental nutrition during late summer and late winter when native forages may be lacking in quantity or nutritive value. Warm season forage legumes, cool season forage legumes, and forage oats are all great choices to include in forage mixtures for white-tailed deer in Texas. One problem with planting mixtures of these three forages is determining the correct planting rate for each species so that competition is minimized and each can be productive. Planting rate experiments with cowpeas, oats, and clover were conducted at multiple East Texas locations and in multiple years. In the most recent experiment, six different mixtures of iron and clay cowpeas, heavy grazer oats, and Apache airleaf clover were planted at Overton in late August. All mixtures were broadcast on freshly disked seed beds and rolled to lightly cover the seed and ensure good seed-to-soil contact. Fertilizer and lime were applied prior to planting according to soil test recommendations. The mixture of 40 pounds per acre of cowpeas plus 40 pounds per acre of oats, including 10 pounds per acre of airleaf clover, provided the best distribution of forage production from early fall to early winter for East Texas. General recommendations for planting include the following. Make plans to plant between the last week of August and the second week of September for East Texas. Collect soil samples from the planting location for fertilizer and lime recommendations. Disc the area to be planted two weeks prior to planting and again on the day of planting. Broadcast the seed and follow with a roller or some sort of drag to increase seed to soil contact. For additional recommendations, contact your local county extension agent. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from Overton for Texas Ag Today. Dove season has opened in the South Zone. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And summer is almost over, but it is still hot out there, and that can have an effect on your cow herd. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. 
Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The calendar says summer is almost over, but the thermometer tends to disagree. It has been one hot September in much of Texas. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says that can have an effect on your cow herd this fall. With these hotter temperatures, you need to monitor your cattle for heat stress. Dr. Barry Whitworth with Oklahoma State Extension indicates at Drovers.com that anytime temperatures are above 85 degrees Fahrenheit, heat stress can occur. And this occurs on most summer days in Texas. It is important to watch for signs of heat stress, including increased breathing rate, open mouth breathing, breathing with the tongue protruding, and excessive salivation. And when you see these signs, these cattle need help quickly. The quickest method of cooling these cattle is to spray them with a mist of water and get them in an area with shade and a natural wind. And just because your cattle are not showing clinical signs does not mean they are not affected negatively by the heat. Hidden consequences to heat stress include decreased conception rates in cows, decreased sperm quality in bulls, and reduced weight in younger cattle. The number one thing that we need to make sure about is all cattle have access to good clean water and plenty of it. An adult cow or bull may drink two gallons of water per hundred pounds of body weight per day in the hot summer. So a 1,500-pound cow needs 30 gallons of water per day. It is a good idea to place water tanks in the shade to keep the water as cool as possible and keep the troughs clean. Make sure you have plenty of space around the water troughs so cattle can spread out when drinking and stay cooler. Feeding your cattle in the late evening after high daytime temperatures allows cattle to dissipate heat better when fermenting their food after eating. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Dove season has opened in the south zone of Texas. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Dove hunting season has officially opened in the south zone. Owen Fitzsimmons, Webless Migratory Game Bird Program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, said hunters can expect a good season, especially in the south zone. Spring and summer rains have helped improve habitat across much of Texas, which has been good for dove, but also means that hunters may have a harder time in some areas finding those doves. Fitzsimmons said hunters may find that some dove have frostbite after winter storm Uri in February. This year's daily bag limit remains unchanged at 15 dove per day, with no more than two white tipped. Hunters who plan on hunting with others are encouraged to keep their bags separate to avoid confusion and potential tickets. You do need to keep your birds separate so that game wardens can identify who has bagged which birds. One of the best ways to do that is have some separate Ziploc bags or some way to, to keep those birds separate. Hunters who harvest Eurasian collar doves, which are invasive to Texas, are encouraged to keep some plumage on the dove since they do not contribute to daily bag limits. Fitzsimmons also encourages hunters to be mindful of people and structures in the area where they're hunting. Hunters should be very aware of their fields of fire to make sure that they don't accidentally swing on another hunter or fire in their general direction. So be very aware of that. Be also very aware of, you know, up or down because, you know, some people have dogs out retrieving birds. Hunters should also be mindful of fence lines. 
in Texas, it's illegal to harvest any game on a private property that you're not allowed to hunt. So you need to be very aware of where that bird might fall, because if it does fall on private property, you'll need to get special permission to go retrieve that bird. That was Owen Fitzsimmons with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The reopening of that packing plant up in Nebraska gave a big boost to the cattle market on Tuesday. We saw triple-digit gains in both live and feeder cattle. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a nice turnaround in the cattle complex on Tuesday. Triple-digit gains for both live and feeder cattle. News that the JBS beef plant in Grand Island, Nebraska is back open after that fire over the weekend helped to boost cattle prices. October live cattle up $1.85, $124.12. The December up $2.50, $129.65. February live cattle up $2.82 at $133.25. Nice jump in the feeder market. September feeder cattle up 307, 155.27. October up 270, 158.15. The November up 257, 159.72. Cash fed cattle trade all quiet on Tuesday. No bids or asking prices to report. Boxed beef was mixed on Tuesday. Choice down 74 cents, 325.19. Select up 227 at 294.43. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Jody Fry out at Producers in Cardile, San Angelo, sold them on Thursday. Jody, grab your glass, take a drink, and tell us how they sold. I had uh, over 900 head of cattle today. Calling these kids and yearlings kind of one to three dollars lower. Slaughter cows selling wheat to a dollar lower. Slaughter bulls selling about steady. Replacement bred cows and pairs selling fully steady to slightly higher. Your better quality steers, four to six hundred pounds from 140 up to that high of near 185, mostly 145 to 160. Uh, six to eight hundred pound steers from 120 up to a high of around 155, mostly 125 to 145. Better quality heifer calves, 4 to 600 pounds from 120 up to a high of 155, mostly 130 to 140. Average to high yielding uh, slaughter cows from 50 to 66. Did still have some of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 69 to 73. Thinner or low yielding type cows, still some of those from 33 to 49. Slaughter bulls, average to high yielding from 70 to 86. Still some of the highest yielding slaughter bulls from 87 all the way up to a high of 99. Bred cows and two-year-olds average to better quality. Uh, medium to heavy breads from 750 to 1100. Young heavy bred cows from 1200 to 1400 ahead. Calcaf pairs average to better quality pairs, 1050 to 1275. Front end type pairs from 1300 to a high of near $1,500 a pair. 
What do you anticipate for this next week? Well, sheep and goat numbers uh, should creep back up. I expect at least 6,000 or more cattle numbers. We've got a special calf sale in conjunction with the regular Thursday sale. Probably 1,000 or more cattle at next Thursday sale. Jody Fry, tell everybody how to get a hold of y'all. Call us there at the office at 325-653-3371. My mobile phone would be 234-7895. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I've been your host, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs close lower on Tuesday. October hogs dropped 40 cents, 80.37. The December down a dollar 20, 72.17. Class three milk was mixed nearby September up two cents, 16.61 a hundredweight. October milk down 23, 17.27. The cotton market closed higher in a light low volume trade. Traders keeping an eye on Tropical Storm Nicholas, moving over the U.S. Delta right now, heading out toward the southeast. Of course, we'll have to wait and see what effect this storm and all of its rain is going to have on the Mid-South and Southeast cotton crop. October cotton up 55 points, 94.96. December cotton up 85, 93.66 cents. The corn market finishing strongly higher. September corn up six and a quarter, 503 a bushel. December corn up seven at 520 and a quarter. The wheat market getting a boost from softer production estimates out of France and Canada. Both countries reducing their crop estimates. That helped to boost wheat prices with hard wheat leading the way higher. December Kansas City wheat up 15 and a half, 701 and three quarters. New crop July wheat up 14 and a quarter, 705 and three quarters. Soft Chicago wheat with the December contract up 13 and three quarters, $7 and three quarters of a cent. July soft wheat up 11 and three quarters, 702 a bushel. Rough rice closed higher. September up 11 cents, 13.43 a hundredweight. November soybeans down two and a quarter, 12.82 and a half. September soybean meal down 350 at 341.20 a ton. In the energy markets, October natural gas was up six cents, 529. October crude oil up four seventy forty nine a barrel. The financial markets lower Tuesday. The Dow down 301, 34,568. The Nasdaq down 68 at 15,037. The S&P down 25, 4,442. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. See you next time, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.